0: All right, and hello, welcome back to Criterion Deep Dives. Uh, with me today, returning guest, Steve Vicaro. Hey, Steve. What's up, Mike? How's it going?
1: Pretty good. Thanks for having me on.
0: You know, second episode of the new year. We're um, we're watching a bunch of new movies that we're excited to see. Um, and today, Steve and I are talking about Roma. Uh, no, not the tomato, but the 2018 um, film from director Alfonso Cuarón. This is a movie that, uh, you know, is a lot newer than um, a lot of the films we discuss on this podcast. Um, It was uh, in it was a big, buzzy Academy Awards film in 2018 and made by a director that um, is pretty well known. Uh, I like a lot of his movies. And this was kind of like a new a new movie for him in in terms of his approach. Uh, It's a very, very personal film. Um, and, and, yeah, it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards um, and won, I believe, three. Um, but, yeah, so this uh, this film is on Netflix. It's not on the Criterion channel, but there is. Uh, they did put out an, a DVD Blu-ray edition on the Criterion collection, um, which uh, I do not have. But I would love to watch those special features. So, anyway, so this, this movie uh, we were kind of talking about it, but Steve, you, you hadn't seen it before and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were, you were given this as a, as a homework assignment for, from your Spanish teacher. Is that right? No.
1: Uh, I told her that we were doing this and then she came up with some questions, but I see. Okay.
0: Okay. (laughs) Got it. So Steve, Steve is currently taking Spanish lessons. How are those going?
1: Yeah, they've been going pretty well. They're, they've been going great. I've always really liked, um, like Spanish language and Mexican culture in particular, um, just like the hardworking aspect of their lives. And I had a few close people that um, that spoke Spanish in my life growing up. That I just kind of remember certain things um, about them that I really liked. And there's just certain things about the culture that um, make me feel good. And I like the music. Um, so I was I was excited when we came came onto this one.
0: Yeah, definitely. have you ever have you ever traveled to Mexico?
1: Never to well, uh Dominican Republic and Spain were the only two Spanish speaking countries I've been to. Okay. But uh, just the, the culture from Spain and um I don't really remember Dominican Republic, but especially Spain compared to Mexico is so different. Uh, that I would really like to go to Mexico and just kind of see the differences and um especially in Roma Roma, just the differences between the two countries is so apparent. And it'd be be cool to see that firsthand.
0: Yeah, for sure. And of course, like in this film, there's, it's, it's subtle, it's somewhat subtle, but of course the class differences and the, of, um, you know, people from like Spanish colonialism versus, uh, indigenous, uh, people in Mexico. So, um, that's, that's definitely like at play with a lot of the characters. So, um, but yeah, this is, uh i i was excited to watch this with you i really enjoyed this movie when it first came out um it was in theaters for a couple weeks but then it was only available on netflix and part of the um part of it being in theaters was eligibility for the academy awards um basically from the start this was this was netflix's like big play to win an oscar um and specifically a best picture oscar um and at the time, there's a lot of resistance towards that in in a couple ways. I think one before before, you know, the, the year after uh, this movie that the Oscars for this movie, uh, Parasite won, which was the first um, international film, uh, non-English speaking film to win the Best Picture Award. And so I think that already like that uh, precedent was going up against this film. As well as the fact that there is just in the industry a bit of a resentment against Netflix and the streaming, which in a year and a half or two years has totally changed because of COVID and because of the movie theaters and everything going on, which is just such a rapid development, obviously. But like at the time this was kind of a this was kind of like a, a bit of an object of fascination because of the fact that it's this extremely cinematic movie, right? It's shot on large format, digital, uh sixty five millimeter digital but it's this extremely like theatrical feel and and filmic movie that was gonna be put out on this uh, streaming service so like a lot of sort of traditional uh, movie minds were, were kind of put off by that um but I think it's really cool that it's available on Netflix for for anyone to watch and I don't know like do you do you remember hearing about this movie when it came out because I feel like it in some ways outside of like, outside of like the film world. I don't know how big of a splash it made. And part of that is that it's hard to tell with Netflix, like, cause they don't report their viewing numbers.
1: Right. I just, I remember hearing about it and I remember, uh, there being a lot of pictures and videos in the media of, of the acceptance is from these people just cause it's like the first time seeing a big group of uh, Mexican people accepting a, an award like that. I remember thinking that was interesting, but I, I think that I kind of wrote it off because at that time, I didn't think Netflix was good.
0: Okay. Like I yeah. didn't,
1: I didn't believe in Netflix's uh, capability to produce good things at that time. So, you know, that was before we loved streaming.
0: Yeah. Cause Netflix is interesting because I, when Netflix first started, they had, um, uh, you know, and it changes all the time what's on Netflix, but like I grew up as in terms of learning about film with Netflix, obviously. And they had tons and tons of like critically acclaimed, Uh, movies from the you know 70s 80s 90s that I was able to just kind of watch on streaming and like catch up really quickly in, in my home on on a lot of like film history um but that started to go away a little bit in in the you know like kind of uh early parts and halfway through the the decade the 2010s um and I would say that it's come back in some ways but like there's so much obviously like streaming is such a different landscape um so So, yeah, in terms of the perception of, like, can Netflix produce quality content, like, um, I think that perception's changed a little bit, and I think now there's even an expectation with some of these other movies, right? Like, last year with um, Marriage Story and The Irishman, those were big, buzzy Oscar movies, and um, this year with Mank and and plenty of other projects, but specifically in terms of them trying to win Oscars, I do think that it's not even as uh, it's not even a strange concept anymore so this movie while it did not win best picture and it probably should have in my opinion it did kind of break down some of those doors and of course you mentioned the the um like acceptance speeches and stuff too this this film won for best foreign film and then Corone won for best director and best cinematography so this this is the only movie that he's technically credited as the cinematographer that he shot himself. Um, he's worked with, um, some other cinematographers on his other films, but, and, and this is, uh, this is the only movie where someone has won for both, both best director and best cinematography, which is pretty cool. And, and once again, it's like, when you see some of the behind the scenes stuff or or think about it, it's like so much work to handle both the directing of the actors and the camera. Um, but also on top of that, this, uh, this was the, you know, for five out of six straight years, um, a Mexican filmmaker won the best director award at the Academy Awards. Um, it was, he, he won back in 2013 for gravity. And then you have, um, Alejandro inurito who won, um, I believe two straight years for, um, uh, Birdman and the Revenant. And then you had, uh, guermo del toro winning for the shape of water as well um so those three right are like these big name directors that are kind of this new mexican cinema and along with the uh, cinematographer emmanuel lubezki who won uh three straight years for that cinematography award and he's he's worked with on some of his movies like children of men and he's made a bunch of movies with uh, terrence malick so these guys like this group they're actually credited in the um in the credits of this movie just as like his his crew his uh, they they call themselves the three amigos of cinema but um so it, it it's a cool movement and i think they all make awesome work and it, it's cool to see that recognition and then like you mentioned on top of that you have um the two leads of this movie who are nominated for um best actress in best supporting actress. Um, one Yelizia Aparicio who plays Cleo, who was not actually an actress. This was her first role. And she was just kind of found out of obscurity and, and she is incredible in this movie. I think that's what I remember
1: most was just the look on her eyes and like some of the younger actors, just like being at these award ceremonies. And I just remember just thinking how cool that was that they're there and they were kind of the underdogs, um, or just like just kind of like their their story that they weren't actors and just seeing their, their eyes and lights was really relatable and exciting.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I I also remember that about like I loved this movie when I first saw it, but the thing I was most excited about was those two awards or those two nominations because I felt like that was even more of a breakthrough and, and like a, a great recognition for um for this work. Um but yeah, so this movie is is fairly it's it's semi-autobiographical it's it's pretty much based on Quiron's life as the um the what's the kid's name Pepe in the in the movie Mm -hmm. um it it's based on his life and his memories of growing up in this neighborhood in in Mexico and he actually reconstructed tons of this from his memory so he um they filmed it in a house across the street from his actual house growing up uh, he relocated like uh, like um, a bunch of his furniture from like relatives and people growing up and like recreated his household as best as he could. Um, and then, uh, you know, interviewed his interviewed his maid who he's still friends with um, Libo as she's credited in the end of the film um, and interviewed her basically and got all this information about like everything that is uh, everything that happened. So, I think it's really it's a really interesting idea of like someone going back and and doing something so personal to them, you know what I mean? Like in recreating it in a film format. Um, there's a there's a film uh, *Synecdoche, New York* from uh, uh, Charlie Kaufman in uh, 2008, I believe, and the idea was this: the Philip Seymour Hoffman character in that movie uh, recreated, uh, wanted, ended up trying to create a play and, and recreate the whole. Um, New York city. And it's this like insane kind of surrealist movie where it just expands and expands. But I was kind of getting that vibe, seeing some of these interviews with him and thinking about recreating this movie, because it's like, what are you doing trying to put these things that belong to your past? um, Like on the screen, you know, and he talks as much about, about how crazy that is.
1: His main goal. And just idea of doing that was that him creating his recreating his memories would help the audience and the viewer think about their own memories and, and kind of their, this movie would take them back into, um, into them growing up and just kind of certain things about the upbringing of this kid would also and the, and the, the parents and everything will, will also bring you back to where you were back then too, which I thought was really interesting.
0: There's several aspects of the movie that, that make that work, but I know you specifically mentioned to me that you thought the sound design as well as the lack of music in this film um, like made you think of of that idea of memories like can, can you talk about that a little bit and kind of kind of what you were thinking when you were experiencing those scenes
1: the first thing I remember from the movie that really hit me was the marching band um, in the streets and it was yeah. it was so bad and <laughs> it's and I, I think it was more like a political like rather than like a school-based in the movie I wasn't too sure but it just brought me back to growing up in marching band and probably sounding like that uh, <laughs> uh, I think the first sound that you hear in the movie is the washing of the pavement too and there's yeah. a lot of themes about water in the movie too which are really relaxing um, which mm-hmm. remind me of just kind of vacationing or being at the beach and on Lake Erie, um, as well as like the elements of cleaning also bring me back to doing chores as a kid. Although yeah. the kids in the movie weren't doing too many. It was mostly Cleo, but uh, it's it kind of made me think about that as well.
0: And I think to, to that point, you know, like another thing that's really significant about this film is the, is the long shots and like the lack of editing. And, and, you know, you mentioned that it feels like it's in, happening in real time Um, to which I would say like that is totally true. And that's also part of, I think what it, what makes it feel like home right is like you can you can relate and i think sound is really powerful as well to to being in those moments of just being in your house growing up and like um being alone with your thoughts or you know hearing people hearing maybe your your parents or your siblings or whatever in another room um and just and it kind of takes you back when that is done well you know the sound like you mentioned the marching band like we linger on that for a very long time, like you said, feeling in real time. Um, but also the sound is, you know, a little distant and then it slowly creeps in and it's it's um it's that full sort of like three sixty approach to sound where um you've you actually really feel like you're in the scene. And I think the sound is like that um throughout this movie, especially when you have those long shots that don't um that don't cut to something else and you, you can really immerse yourself in the scene, you know?
1: Right. The The first scene when Cleo's washing the pavement, um, washing the dog poop in the in the driveway, it goes on for like five minutes before anything really even happens. And then yeah. she goes into a separate room, where, which we assume is a bathroom, and then you just wait there and kind of listen to the birds and things happening for another three minutes before she even comes out of the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, but it, it made me... It, it I felt patient watching it and then it, it really builds up at the end and you feel like you were really watching her life and, and growing with her throughout the movie because everything was so, um, it, it wasn't just, it didn't cut to the next day at all. It was really, it was, uh, it was slow and like you said, real time.
0: Yeah. And you're like experiencing those emotions alongside people. And, and also like this movie gets more action packed for sure as it goes along, but I do kind of wonder about the beginning of this movie being slow and you could, you could say boring if you're being uncharitable, but it, you know, it definitely picks up. But like, I do think about that and I do think about it being on streaming. And like, if somebody, you know, if somebody is remotely interested or, or casually interested in this film when it first came out and then they tried to watch the beginning of it, right? Like I can see them very easily turning to something else because it does not make any huge efforts to, snare you in in the first you know 10 to 20 minutes even it it takes some time especially
1: without music um yeah and and also the grayscale i, I think the grayscale that he uses is really pretty though it's not like you're you know when you watch it you don't think oh this is like just a really old film it's it's it feels different it's almost like a a gray slightly greenish tint to it which yeah i, I feel was uh, on purpose but yeah, it, I, I'm yeah, so glad sure. that I wasn't bored in the beginning. I'm so glad that I tough not <laughs> toughed it out, but like it, it that's part of it and part of the development mm-hmm. and it's so worth it at the end.
0: It's it, sometimes it's easier to stick with something when you know you're watching it for a reason, right? Like when we, when me or anyone else who, who watches a movie for this podcast, like there's a little bit more of a, there's a l I I think there's a little bit more attention paid than like, if you're just trying to like f- put something on to pass the time and right. this is a really intense movie. Like it gets very emotional as it goes along. And I think that's part of the f- reason that I haven't rewatched it since I first saw it, because, um, I knew it was, I knew it was very, it was kind of slow at the beginning in a good way, in a way that I liked. Um, but you know, slow nonetheless, and that it was also, you know, pretty emotionally gut wrenching <laughs> as it goes along. So, um, mm-hmm. But I was I was really glad to rewatch it because I, um, I kind of remembered a lot of these these virtues like even even better than you know, the first time. So especially like
1: watching it a few years later and just what life has brought us now it's so much more to think about and to kind of relate back to the movie and. Than, when, than three or four years ago, whenever you watched it first.
0: Yeah, and, and another thing about, like, the way that this film is shot, not only is it um, long takes, but there's there's kind of, like, a visual component to the shots, a lot of the shots throughout that I think is really compelling, which is um, the characters are moving often, like, parallel to the camera, and there's just a lot of panning. And um, you you even have these scenes where there's, like, different people – in the foreground and then characters in the background. Like I'm thinking of the scene that happens at the, at their, the friend's estate that they go to um, in the forest where there's like the dogs running in the front and the people in the back. And then as the camera's panning forward, we have um, the people up front shooting and it's just like really brilliantly composed and there's so much happening in it. And it feels uh, also, we should say like, like this is something that Cuaron is, somewhat known for and especially the cinematographer Lubezki who I mentioned before is known for these long takes so he he did uh Birdman that movie in 2014 where the whole movie is it's artificially stitched together but the whole movie is supposed to look and feel like a single take the camera never stops moving um Mm -hmm. and as well in um there's plenty of other examples but also Cuaron's movie Children of Men in 2006 um there are lots of really long takes that take place. And that is a bit more of like a war type movie. It almost feels like, and there are those, there are those scenes where they're like upstairs in a, in a building and they escape the building through the help of the soldiers and then go through these war torn streets. And it's like this 10 minute scene. And it's once again, it's just, it's just um apart from a lot of people will like, will take something like that and kind of like that movie, 1917 that came out last year. Like they'll take something like that and they'll really, um, like attribute it to the camera work and, and how it feels like quote unquote athletic and, and, um, really like full of life and everything. But I think the more important thing, once again, is the sound and the immersive quality and, and, and the lack of edits, like you mentioned, like the fact that you, the fact that you stick with it more so than like, wow, look how the camera is moving, you know? because that, yeah. that's definitely the case in this movie it's not necessarily the camera's not doing anything crazy but it's everything is is really like pr- uh, beautifully composed you know
1: right and within those long takes there's so many different things going on but those things that are going on aren't anything crazy intricate where you know they, they could just be doing that and my head's like oh this is gonna he's gonna get there's a shot point where they're shooting in a gun range and I'm like oh no something bad's gonna happen. Yeah, And then on the other side, there's, you know, a guy... Something else is happening, and there's so many different things going on, and your head thinks, is thinking, like, what's going to happen? But I really think it's just to, you know, create an intricate, like, interesting scene. I don't think he was really necessary, necessarily trying to mean one specific thing with what's happening. Yeah. Like, it's been, when they were coming out from, like, into the streets, there's so many people talking about different things, and I don't necessarily... I think it's like on purpose. I think it's more just to, to paint the picture.
0: It's it's funny because in that in that making of feature that uh, I watched, he he had a quote that really stuck with me because I felt like it was something that I've been that I've tried to say before when uh, like arguing for the virtue of these types of movies to people, but I I just couldn't come up with the words. But he basically talked about how a lot of movies, if you have like a conversation between two characters. It, it's like it's called the shot reverse shot where you you know you see the person with like maybe the shoulder in the foreground of the other character they're talking to and you go back and forth between those two shots like when the person's talking or sometimes not but um he said you know you can he said you can watch these movies with your eyes closed which i thought was a great point and in, in terms of like yeah what are you really seeing on screen you know um this is a lot of a lot of great directors and what you might say like Artie art art house directors have have scenes like this that are long and and maybe the characters are in the distance and you hear them talking or you're the camera's to the characters backs or whatever but um it's a great point in terms of like actually seeing how the characters interact in space and the blocking and everything like that so
1: it's just it's normal it's it's how like a, a normal normal life is when everyone's together it's not just one person talking and that's all yeah. you hear it's you hear everything
0: as far as the plot of this movie, um, when you when you start with the fact that what he did was really incredible, like reconstructing his own life from memory and trying to have that attention to detail um, and also reconstructing um, places in Mexico where historical events happened, like the, um, the Corpus Christi massacre that happens halfway through this movie, you know, big historical event in Mexico that I didn't know about that, you know, this film essentially... Opened that up to me, um, but he he shot that in in the same location where where part of it happened with the uh, department store, and he's you know he had seen an old photograph um, of people looking out those windows down onto the violence, and he he thought like what if we shoot that from inside that building, um, which is really incredible too, like the blocking that went into that large scene, and then you don't even have a camera on the ground shooting like. It's crazy that that's all done just to be in the background, you know, but it's, it's amazing. And it feels, it feels really scary and and thrilling at the same time. You know, I
1: was just going to say, you can't mention that scene without the heartbreaking moment at the end of it. I I think we should get into Fermin.
0: So Fermin, uh, her, her boyfriend or her, you know, the, the father of her child, essentially, you know, when they first meet, he expresses his affinity for martial arts and, he has a, I would say like the, the most, the, I don't know if it's not, I don't know if it's the only humorous scene in the film. It's, it's definitely not the only one, but um, you know, he's standing there in the nude and he comes out with the uh, pole from the shower and, and does his whole routine. It's like really intense. And, um, <laughs> and it, it's, it feels really funny because it's, it just kind of comes out of the blue and feels like different from the rest of the movie.
1: It reminds me of like Rex Kondo for Napoleon Dynamite.
0: Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course he's naked. So his dick's flapping around. and <laughs> It's just like, it's just funny. So, you know, he's, he's interested in, in the military and as this progresses, right? Like she later when she goes to see him and, and try to hunt him down after she, after he's essentially abandoned her, like he's training in this ground with all these people. And then that is the same group of people that the, the Halconas, the, the Hawks as it's as they're called apparently, um, who was essentially this group of people, like, funded by the government to suppress these um, demonstrations. Um, And he's a part of that and meets up with her, of course, when she's at the department store um, shopping for a crib.
1: You see these people going into this department store, causing rioting, and someone points a gun at Cleo, and then you see it's Fermin, and your heart literally just becomes so close with Cleo, and you feel so bad for her that her husband of the Uh, of her child is gone and now she's buying a crib and it's kind of happy and all of a sudden this riot breaks out and you're scared and all and then this guy has a gun to her and it's her and it's the guy that abandoned her and it, it, it seriously it just made me really it just it really took me away and um throughout throughout the movie and I just thought about my family and all that you know, I, as a kid, you kind of don't understand what's happening, and now I probably still don't know a lot of things that have happened, like that my parents kind of haven't explained to me, just because you know that's just how growing up was. They don't they don't have to tell me about every single thing, but it the movie really put you into the shoes of somebody who is fighting for you know her life the, and her family that she's supporting's life and her kids' life, and mm-hmm. I know, it was very emotional.
0: Yeah, and it's it's these two tracks, right, at the same time of 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 Cleo, the maid, and then uh the mother, um, where the mother and I'm I'm forgetting the character's name, but the actress is Marina de uh Di Rivera. Um but she the mother uh is of course, you know, basically the father is, is off in the city. Antonio, I remember his name. <laughs> Antonio, he's off in the city with his mistress. Um and, you know, it, it trickles in, this information trickles in slowly in the film. Like, like it, it, you know, at first I think as a viewer, you don't fully understand that like he's, he's not in Quebec at this, at this conference or whatever, but um, you kind of hear it in the background happening. Right. And like, this is, this is the conversation that um, the mother is happen- is having with her, with her mother, um, where she is, is basically kind of like whispering off in the side and you're hearing it about like how, you know, what am, what are we supposed to tell the kids and, and all this stuff. And um and, and this is the moment where Cleo is coming in to uh tell um to tell her that she's pregnant. And she's uh she's scared because she um you know doesn't she doesn't lose job. Yeah, she doesn't want to do she doesn't want to lose her job. She doesn't know what's gonna happen to her. And that that's kinda like the first question that she asks is is, are you going to fire me? And, and of course the, the mother and Sophia, I just, I just got her name, Sophia. She, uh, she's like, no, of course we have to take care of you. And it's, is a touching moment in the sense that like, you're, you know, you're not totally expecting it because like, you know, the type of film you're watching, you're expecting some sadness and some heartbreak. And up until this point, like the family hasn't been displayed as bad people per se. Um, but we haven't really seen like their their more, you know, charitable or human side, you know, right.
1: But something that I did notice throughout the whole movie is that there's elements of them treating Cleo like what she is, which is their helper, their maid. But there are also elements of them really loving her and the kids really loving her and looking up yes. to her, and especially at the end, it just it makes you really happy that she is kind of part of the family and and not just like a helper um yeah but it's it's not very out forward it's it's just small like the kids and just the way they look at her and say thank you to her is very genuine throughout the movie i i don't
0: know if i i don't know if i mentioned this to you or not but when this movie came out i remember on like a a film facebook group that i was a part of um there was this guy who like wrote a review or commented on something about it and just basically said like what a great film that like what a great lesson. Like, this is how you should treat your, this is how you should treat your servants. I just, I was just like, what? Like, okay, this is not the, this is not necessarily the lesson or the takeaway from the film. Like, yes, that's great that they're, that they're good to her and she's part of their family. But one, it's not like he made it sound like this universal thing of everyone has like a servant or a maid or whatever. It's just, it's just funny to, to like read comments like those. And it's like, were we you know, watching the same movie necessarily, but, um, yeah you see that early on right in the scene where after the fathers come home and they're all sitting around watching tv and um cleo's kind of cleaning up some of the stuff but then she she sits down and and is watching the show with them and they're you know it's it's a very like warm family scene that i think like a lot of people um can can relate to from their childhoods maybe of like watching television with their family and laughing and, and just feeling close and um the one kid uh uh Pepe or Paco I forget which one just kind of hugs her and is holding her and then Sophia is like can you get the doctor the doctor needs his tea and the kid is like no I, I'm with her right now like she's with me and you you do see that right in the sense that like they're close to her and you know why wouldn't they be because they because she spends all this time taking care of them and um and I think that that's probably true for so many of these types of relationships you you grow up raising these kids and, and you, especially if you are are good to them, you know, you, uh, you, you develop an affection and, mm-hmm. and, and of course, this is also a setup for sort of like the emotional turmoil that the film is going to put us through as uh Cleo, you know, first learns she's pregnant and then kind of has conflicted feelings and then learns that she's going to, you know not have support from her um from her baby daddy <laughs> from fermine and then of course you know in that the emotional apex of the film um she gives she her water breaks during that massacre in the department store they rush over to the hospital and and um only for only for the child to be a stillborn um and you know that scene on its own i think is enough is enough merit for the film like it it is it's brutal it's absolutely brutal to watch it's um incredible acting and it feels extremely real um another thing you know i learned about that scene is that those those uh nurses and doctors were all real nurses and gynecologists and um also the director Corone, did not tell yulizia up front that it was going to be a stillborn apparently he was apparently he was like not he was only like giving the scenes uh the the scenes that they're going to shoot like the script the day of or maybe the day before mm-hmm. and they shot this film chronologically. So um of course it's like a great story to talk about the way that the movie was made but um she she didn't know that 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 was what was going to happen. So um he was trying to elicit this like real real pain, real emotion out of her which clearly Clearly worked, and apparently they only shot this scene once versus some of these other scenes that you know he did sixty takes of these these long shots or whatever. So I've, I've
1: seen a lot of uh, like birthing scenes, and I think most of them have been happy. But I have never in my life felt that much pain and wanted to hug and be there for someone more than I have when watching the scene, like. In music and the media, you hear a lot about single mothers and you hear the term baby daddy, which we kind of almost throw out like a joke. Yeah. Um, But the truth, like, really seeing the pain and what a single parent without support went through and her child is a stillborn, I couldn't imagine her being by herself at that time and having her man to comfort her. Um,
0: yeah, and there's also the the father, Antonio, who she runs into before because that's the hospital that he works at. Mm-hmm. And she runs into him and he kind of comforts her. Um and this is really the first time that she's seen him since he he left properly. Um and he comforts her in a very like doctorly way. But he says, you know, uh she won't let me in the room. And then the doctor the 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 nurse who's taking her to the the room is like no it's fine you can be there and then he's like i'm i'm sorry i'm busy so like even this even he can't be there for her in that moment like the one person that she actually knows um so yeah it's you're you're right it's you know it's like it's very emotional in terms of like wanting to comfort someone right because it's it's so it's so painful and she is so alone in so many ways um
1: and, and the scene being shot in this real time aspect where it's it's slow and it's it's how it would actually take place it it really it really makes you right there with her it's not just quick she has the baby and it's it's stillborn it yeah. takes sort of like you know seven minutes for this whole scene to happen and it, your anxiety is just your heart's beating your anxiety's there and I, i'm glad i did watch that though because it, it shows you the importance of being a father and you know and having safe sex and <laughs> uh, like this these things are very important and i think a lot of times growing up it's almost like a joke to wear a condom or it's a joke you know that's my that's my baby daddy or stuff like right. that
0: but... and now we're and now we're going to talk about safe sex practices for the next time minutes <laughs> no i i do think right too because like when she's first um talking to the doctor and learning that and confirming that she is pregnant i think it's the doctor um they uh uh, she asks her like, are you sexually active? Um, how many partners have you had? And, and she's really reticent to answer these questions, but we learned that this is the only, there's only, this is the only sexual partner she's had and she hasn't been sexually active for very long. So that's, that's kind of brutal too, right? Like she trusted
1: somebody or, you know,
0: she was with this one person and she, uh, they were, you know, doing what young people do and it turned into this life altering, um, consequence and circumstance which you're you're right is is absolutely the truth and the case for so many people in in this country and in this world so um and then and then to that point too like i think the movie theater scene i love that shot and i love the way that it's staged and sequenced where she tells him in the near the end of this film that they're in at the movie theater um that she is pregnant and he uh he kind of responds like, "Oh wow," and he like you can see his attitude change before because before that they're making out and then he kind of lays on her and then you know 15 seconds later he's like, "I'm gonna go to the bathroom," and uh, she's like, "The movie's almost over," but he's like, "I really have to go," so he goes out and uh, she's sitting there alone and already you can sense that he's not coming back just the way that it's shot and the way that she keeps looking back over her shoulder and the camera lingers. The movie ends. She spills out into the streets with everyone else and she's looking for him and she waits for a couple minutes but he just he doesn't show up and I think that 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 scene for me is really sad because this guy's a dirt bag right and like how many dirt bags in, in the history of the world have people had to put up with who have left when there's a child and when there's that responsibility you know like the moment the moment that just um like casual sex turns into like a person that needs to be, you know, taken care of, or at least um, supported in some way, you know? So mm-hmm. it, there is that consequence of something that, um something that once again, people will, people will continue doing forever. People continue to have sex casually in their youth. And, and, and there is that very real consequence of it. So she, she, um she is unlucky in two ways with the baby and with, it being a shitty guy who she can't rely on um but you know then she then she kind of warms up to the idea seemingly of having the kid um and is like i think that's reflected in her relationship with the children she takes care of right like there's this Mm -hmm. it's it's never really mentioned and it's all very subtle but there's this you see in her sort of like wow like I'm I have so much love in me and I take care of these kids so well but like she she never she's so young she hasn't thought of herself as a mother yet and then that's that's dawning on her and of course in real time um or you know on a parallel track there's Sophia the mother dealing with her marital issues and having to raise uh those four children on her own in this house that she can't afford herself and she's getting no financial support from from the doctor Antonio. So those things are happening at the same time and there's there's tension there, right? Like you mentioned the scene where Sophia comes back home drunk and she she says to um she says to Cleo like no matter what they tell you women we're always alone. Um and and she goes away and um it's a it's a really powerful moment as well in the sense that like this is this is playing out in real time between the two people, and and that they both are alone, in their own ways. But of course, of course, some of the resolution of this film too is that they they are all in some way one big family, right? Like mm-hmm. they they have people that do take care of them and rely on them. And as as sad as this film is at, at moments, it's also like extremely heartwarming. This the sense of family that comes from this film
1: right especially with the last scene um where the the whole family gets to go on vacation and go to a beach for a day and in the car right everyone's you know seemingly happy their smiles and Mm -hmm. they're at the beach and it's a real-time scene so it's just kind of almost lingering like the fun they're having at the beach and cleo's helping one of the kids and recognizes that the two are missing and she can't find them she runs into the water as agonizing because your hearts in your mind, like you said, okay, we know what we're watching. Well, and it's uh, been mentioned, <laughs> it's
0: been mentioned several times that she can't swim. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: And so your head's going, okay, someone's going to die here, but she eventually saves the kids and they all come back and the family's back together. And it's just, it's another heart aching scene. And and then Cleo, you realize what just Cleo did sacrifice, like could have died too. And, but she saved the kids and yeah. Um, and she also announces to the family too, that you know, she didn't want the baby and she's almost being remorseful about, um, you know, having the still baby. She's thinking that because she didn't want this baby, that that's why the baby isn't alive. And then yeah. the, the mom consoles her, Sophia consoles her. And, um, it's just, a it's sad scene, but it's also consoling that they all come together and are helping her and that the kids have their head on her shoulder. What,
0: what did you, th- what did you think of that? What did you think of that line? Cause I felt like when she said that it almost, it almost was like the one time in the film where I felt like it was a little melodramatic. Um, Like the fact that she would say that after sitting, saving the kids, like, do you think that that's something that someone would say? Like the rest of the film s- feels so, um, so drenched in realism. And then like that part to me almost feels like you wouldn't say that like after you just drowned i don't know it it i don't know what did you think about that did you think it was effective
1: yes i thought it was effective because at that when you save someone's life uh, i've saved two people when i was a lifeguard at one of Farms, and you think someone's gonna die and you're just overcome with emotions and i i could see somebody like you know just saying something random like that that's on her head and
0: saying like this emotional thing that you've been like keeping in your, in your heart for the past several weeks or whatever, like yes. just comes blurting out. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Uh, I like this at the, um, at the other family's hacienda, uh, estate that they're at. She, um, there's like a separate, there's like a separate new year's party down in the basement. I think it is like for the, mm-hmm. for the help uh, at this, at this estate. And they're, they're having their own festival, which like seems pretty fun. Right. It's a little bit more like festive. And, uh, but yeah, she sits down to drink and the, um, w- to have a drink with this one woman she knows. And she's, she's telling her like, you should drink whatever. And she's like, no, it's not good for the baby. And she's like one drink and she convinces her to do, to do it. And then like, right when they are about to, um, cheers, they're like, cheers to the health of the baby. And then a dancer, uh, bumps into Cleo and, and she knocks and falls her drink over. So, Obviously, it's like a really bad omen. I don't even know like I know the first time I watched this film i didn't I didn't really think much of it um but obviously the second time and knowing knowing how it ends with her child, I was like, oh, yeah, it's right there. it's right there. This is an omen. it's not gonna go well yeah it it kind of ties in with that that line near the end too where basically she she's she's blaming herself like she she has this guilt even though it's totally out of her control, but she mm-hmm she blames herself for like the death of her child essentially.
1: Right. That, that quote about women being alone. I I kind of took it for myself as in, I'll never truly a hundred percent be able to relate to women, what they have to go, what they go through. Um, I was specifically thinking about just you know being a mother and childbirth and everything that goes into yeah. that. And almost thinking about the conversation we have today about pro-life or pro-choice and, like I I think that you know, who are as men to it's it's Im- impossible to relate to women and be in their shoes and what they go through um, and I, I can't that's what I kind of took with that that part about women always being alone.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Like like it that that is something that is totally happening to a woman in in her body, right? So it's it's like how you can't you can't experience that and you can't even how can you how can you legislate or judge that or judge what's going through someone's head, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. And and once again, like, yeah, she, she's alone in that moment and there's, and through this traumatic experience, there's not, um, there's not someone else there that she, that she knows to comfort her. It's just the doctor. It's really emotional, really effective. You know, aside from, there's plenty to talk about in the plot and in the, uh, the production of this film. And once again, I would just, you know, like I, re- I recommend it highly. I, I love the way it's shot. I love the way it looks and sounds and everything. Um, I was kind of thinking about the fact that like, when it comes to Mexico, obviously we have a, not a great relationship with Mexico in the United States. We're building a wall on the Southern border. <laughs> I feel like these types of stories of Mexico are, are so important and, and why I, I love that Netflix can uh, like broaden audiences for uh, movies like this, because not only do we have that contentious relationship in, in real life and, and politically, um, you know, these, um people from another country being villainized um, by, by the president and by, you know, other politicians, but you also have um, a history of, of Mexico in, in TV and film as, you know, being essentially just like, cartel and and border dramas right like Mm -hmm. these these are the ideas that people have of like mexican gangs and ms 13 and and people crossing the border and those types of stories which are obviously extremely compelling dramas right like if you want to if you want to actually talk about like um someone immigrating to the united states and crossing the border illegally for whatever reason and and obviously there's like so much human drama there people who people who are not um you know, citizens in the United States, like trying to make it in the United States. Those are like incredible stories as well. But I do think like these types of stories where you're showing even more, and especially like in a city like Mexico city, they just show like, right. That we're, we're, these are our neighbors and we're not that different. Like these, this is a story that could be told anywhere. This is a universal, universal story while we still have these really specific references to Mexico and to, Coron's past but um yeah this this idea of motherhood and then um being able to show another culture
1: definitely and the family's white which is also interesting too like they look just like the family the wealthy family looks exactly like me and you um right which is interesting and just right. seeing them speak spanish it's like there are white people in mexico too
0: yeah i always think it's i always think it's valuable for americans to learn more about like racial tensions in other cultures too because there's a lot we can learn from from that and also it shows the universality of people um people struggling to understand others who are not like them in a way that I I think is important right like while confronting like our horrible past in America it's also important to just understand that there are there are like barriers to to getting to know people and i of course am just a huge believer in like storytelling being the way that we bridge those gaps. And, you know, for me, for me, film is what, is what does that. It's what it's effective. Like I have, I think I've brought in my horizons through watching films from other countries a lot and in ways that like feel really um, just as like a visual person for me feel like really effective. And so I love that this film, you know, was made and was, was a buzzy Oscar film. I wish I knew if it had a bigger bigger impact, once again, I don't feel like outside of the film world, I heard a ton about this movie. But that's probably to be expected, you know.
1: I'm a film novice and um, haven't watched too many films that have made me feel this way. I definitely recommend it. It made me really think about my family and how grateful I am for them. I texted my, called my parents like right afterwards, like on the verge of tears. Like one of those, you're just so full of emotions. It wasn't necessarily crying about a specific thing. Yeah, but um, it it definitely makes you appreciate everything that they've gone through, and um, to have you and, and it was it was I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I think that I I think that 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 middle scene or that you know I guess it's kind of close to the end honestly, but that the yeah. um the the massacre and then the subsequent birth, um, I think that's one of these scenes that is is like. I don't know how you can't cry through that scene. It it's it comes naturally, right? So yeah, this is definitely this is definitely a movie that you 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 know even if it's just right then you'll probably cry at. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I think that's about it. Do you have any other thoughts? Do you? I was curious if you um, if there's anything like through your Spanish class or what you talked about with your teacher that was that was brought up in, in terms of like Mexican culture or and any of those questions.
1: Um, well, we were supposed to do that today and then she canceled class. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think something that's always interesting is just looking into the, in the geography of Mexico. So this pl- takes place in Mexico City. And just the fact that there was white people there and just all the different um, nationalities there is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think that's something I, I looked into more is like where Mexico City is, its positioning and how close it is to all the other Latin American countries and the U.S. But I will right, we'll keep you updated.
0: Yeah, and and Cleo, um, and Cleo and the other um, her friend, I forget what her name is, the, who also lives and is it helps in the house. Um, because there's two of them, right? It's not just Cleo. Yeah, Amelda. Um, yeah, yeah, but th- they speak they speak Mixtec, the um uh, like their indigenous language, and um, once again, like that difference is that you know if you're just watching this movie. Um, as an English speaker, you might not pick up on that at first. And it it wasn't something I picked up on until it was mentioned, but then, you know, knowing some Spanish and obviously like taking Spanish classes throughout school, when I sat and listened to that, you know, scene of them talking in mixtech, I was like, oh yeah, that's, I don't recognize any of these words. Like that's a totally different language. And, um, even that nuance, right. Within, within this separate culture of, of class and race and language and, um, the politics that I think in this film are just on the periphery, but are, are really important. Um, is, uh, it, you know, is, is something that you can just like head, head to Wikipedia and really dive into if you want. Can
1: I bring up one more, one more quick scene that I thought was special. Um, so when Cleo goes to tell for me when he's in his martial arts war training that I need your help, uh, I'm pregnant and I don't have money. I'm, this is going to be our kid. Yeah. There's a scene where she's watching the training and people are really excited to watch and see what all this hype is about. It looks like it's a really poor city. Uh, the teacher is trying to teach them basically balance. And he says, everyone close your eyes and balance on one foot. They're, they're in a tree pose, if you know what that is, if you're a yoga <laughs> aficionado like myself. And basically everyone's failing at this posture, like falling out of it, except for Cleo. Yeah. But no one can tell that she's doing it well because they're all their eyes are closed. Uh, and I was just thinking about basically he doesn't know how good she, she is, and you know it's something about not seeing is um, you know trying to like kind of like trust your heart and your feelings rather than your eyes. Um, mm-hmm. But I that that part made me very happy for Cleo and just make have me some give me some pride for her just not because she's good at yoga but just. You know that she is a lot more to offer than you know what what meets the eye
0: yeah and it was like it's one of the few moments along with you know when she's with her um, her friend amalda up front where you actually get to see her her personality existing in in a bit more of a um out, you know outside of outside of her job like she she is very good at at taking care of the kids and always um, like taking it on the chin, right? If if somebody's mean to her, or if she has chores to do, or whatever, like she's she's really good at that. And then she also, outside of that, still has her own personality, obviously. And she right. gets to live that out. And it's like it is those moments, right? Like her doing the tree pose, where it's like, oh, you see, you see more of that human side of just like like anyone would try to challenge themselves to that thing. And to your point, she pulls it off, and she, uh, it it's like she. It's like she hasn't, like, uh, given herself permission yet to, to like, fully be her own person or to, like, you know, acknowledge her own greatness or accomplishments or whatever right. it may be, you know. Like, although
1: she's a maid, she's still a person and has a lot to offer.
0: Well, I think that's about all I have, but but thank you, Steve. It's, it's great. I'm glad that you enjoyed this movie and, um, and you know, if... If you're listening and you haven't checked it out yet, I I would recommend you do at some point. I know it kind of like looking back two years ago, I feel like it almost kind of dipped under the radar. A movie that I didn't, I haven't talked about with a lot of my friends who even I talk about movies with. It just kind of, uh, it just kind of was this like Oscar y movie that didn't, you know, didn't win the best, didn't win the big award and then kind of wasn't discussed as much. But, um, but it's definitely worth checking out and um, uh, feeling feeling some emotions.
1: <laughs> definitely in the feels.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Steve, and we will uh, we will talk soon.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Adios. <laughs>